you so much for joining us today for this webinar. As I was just saying, uh, you know, because a lot of people are, I guess, working from home because of the coronavirus, that it may be uh, difficult to hear a video, uh, excuse me, or the audio might break up. The presentation is now on our website. It's also on the wall for the program. And uh, all the materials that we'll be discussing today are accessible through the assisted living page of our website, which is nursinghome411.org. Today's program is on fostering resident independence and choice in assisted living. A little bit about the coalition. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with us, we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization entirely dedicated to improving care and quality of life for elderly and adult disabled uh, individuals in long-term care facilities. We principally focus on nursing homes and assisted living. We do policy analysis and systems advocacy in our home state of New York, New York, excuse me, and nationwide. And more and more, we have been doing over the past eight to ten years uh, education and uh, an outreach to consumers and families and long-term care ombudsmen and other stakeholders. Uh, I'm Richard Mollett. I will be uh, presenting first, and then I'm going to hold it, uh, hand it over to Eric Goldwine, who is our policy fellow. Eric graduated almost a year ago, 10 months ago, I guess, uh, from the Melman School of Public Health at Columbia University, and he's been with us since shortly after that time. So a little bit about our agenda for the day. I'm going to give a quick update on the coronavirus. I know that people are obviously concerned and for very good reasons. So I just didn't want to um, pass by the opportunity to plug in with you all on some of the things that we've been thinking about and some resources. Then I'm going to provide a background on assisted living, um, why, you know, why people, individuals, seniors in particular, are interested in assisted living, some of the strengths and weaknesses of assisted living. And then Eric is going to take it from there with a discussion of the free guides for fostering resident choice and independence and some of the materials we've developed to go along with those guides and to help you and those who you are working with uh, foster, you know, achieve uh, resident choice and independence in assisted living. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, to begin with the coronavirus update, I wanted to mention because we have, a, we don't unfortunately are not able to do a lot of programs on assisted living. And part of the reason for that is because there are very significant differences between nursing homes and assisted living uh, and other adult care facilities. And I'm kind of lumping uh, assisted living and other adult care facilities together because they go by different names in different settings. So, um, but we're going to talk about or refer to them as assisted living for our purposes here today. But there are as you I'm sure all know, a number of different requirements for nursing homes on the federal level and as well as generally states have their own requirements in addition to federal nursing home requirements. But because there are federal requirements, federal standards for resident care, for resident quality of life, uh, because there are federal requirements for enforcement, et cetera, even though, as I'm sure you all know, nursing homes tend to be overall, there's some certainly some good ones, but you know, not the best places to get care or in which to live. They, they at least have um, the requirements, the data collection, et cetera, that enable us to have a good idea of what is going on and a strong grounding 
for our advocacy. On the other hand, there are no federal quality of care requirements for, or staffing requirements for that matter, for assisted living or other adult care facilities. So that is a really important difference in terms of the coronavirus because the directions that we are seeing from the federal government, specifically the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, only apply to nursing homes. Now the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, are providing their own um, guidelines for generally speaking, um, including for, I believe, for, for people who are in a residential setting or for uh, providers of care from hospitals to nursing homes, home health, etc. cetera. Um, but there are no specific requirements um, for adult care facilities for assisted living in this regard on the federal level. On the state level, of course, um, we've seen that some of the states are proposing uh, their own guidance and guidelines and requirements for adult care facilities. And for those of you who are or are familiar with the Amazon program, you know that the states are doing that as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that the on the federal side, the uh, federal government has, has you know, essentially said no visitors uh, to nursing homes whatsoever, uh, except in the only exception being possible if, if the resident is dying. So that would include the arms and programs. So we have this distinction which can make things a little bit confusing, but again, just in short, the nurse, you know, everything that we t we're talking about on the federal level in terms of the coronavirus and the CMS guidelines for facilities and for the state agencies, the survey agencies, uh, only relate to nursing homes. And then, you know, if you want information about what the adult homes or assisted living, other adult care facilities, are required to be doing, if any requirements exist at all for them, that's coming from the state level. On the following slide, I'm going to provide just a few of the tips that we have identified. We are keeping our coronavirus webpage uh, updated. It's nursinghome411.org forward slash coronavirus. It's also on the uh, main page, the homepage of our website, so it's easy to get to. <clears throat> when the, guide, the federal guidance changes, which is done already three times in the past week or so, the link that we have on our website automatically updates to the new guidance. So you should be able to get the most current guidance from CMS on the coronavirus that exists going through our web portal. <clears throat> Excuse me. A few just really basic tips, but I, I thought it was important to plug in. One, uh, in regard to hygiene, we, um, you know, we, we recommend that all individuals and that certainly all facilities are following some of the basic recommended protocols for, um, for hygiene and for infection, for the prevention, excuse me, of infections. That includes frequent hand washing, where hand washing is not available, using uh, sanitizers, Covering when you cough or sneeze, preferably with your arm or your elbow. Oh, goodness.
Hi, this is Richard, and I apologize for that. I'm going to turn it over to Eric, I think, in a, in a second, and then I'll, um, if Eric can direct it. Let me see if I can do that. Hold on one minute, um, and maybe Eric will have better luck. Again, I apologize for that disruption. We are going to hopefully get this more show attendees. I'm just going to transfer this to Eric if I could find him. There we go. Eric, um, switch presenter. So I'm switching the presenter to Eric, and hopefully he can take it on and then we can work from there. I don't have a place to put that sheet here. Eric? Oh, maybe. Hi everyone. So Eric, can you mute? Um, can you mute everyone? We're going to get started yeah. now. Okay, and I mute by. Uh, okay, and I've never just figuring out. Well, loud enough. All background stuff. And I don't know. Very poor program. Eric, I'm going to try to mute everyone and then unmute you individually. Okay. Well, you know, yeah, but hello. Yeah, so I'm here. Uh, is my screen present? Um, what what is showing on my screen? So, Eric, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear okay, me? Okay, good. And I'm seeing, I think I'm seeing something here. Okay. A PowerPoint opening up, maybe? Yeah, I'm opening up a power, the PowerPoint. Okay, great. Thanks, everybody, for 
being patient. Yeah, thanks everyone for your patience. I, okay. Again, I'm sorry for the disruption. Okay, so share, select items to share. Um, okay, great. So I, I think it should be my PowerPoint that is currently up. Yeah, it, yeah it's in um, edit mode, not in, in view mode, though. This this PowerPoint, okay. Review, uh, play from, we'll do from current slide, and then I'll fast, I'll uh, skip to. Yeah, why don't we just go to the background, and I'll, so I'll just quickly yeah. go through that, and then we can go back, and then we can go to you. Okay, so, okay, background. Yeah, there we go. Great. Good. All right, we're all set? Okay, so, and then next slide, please. Thanks. Um, so what I wanted to mention, getting this, so this is our introduction. And again, I'm sorry for the disruption in our program, but um, this is um, uh, just a little bit of background on assisted living. So as I mentioned before, assisted living can be called by different things in different states. Um, and here in New York, we call them adult, adult homes. Some of them, some of them are called assisted living. Some of them are called enriched housing. You might hear senior living, um, board and care, adult care facilities. Uh, senior care facilities, etc. They may have different names based upon state licensure or based upon, especially in the absence of state licensure, uh, based upon what the facilities want to call themselves. Uh, and then, you know, what does it mean? So when we talk about assisted living, no matter what name we'll use, and I'm just going to try to stick with assisted living um, for the rest of the program, we're referring to a place that provides residents some or all meals, activities, and personal care and assistance services to residents. I want to talk a little bit about what those things are. Next slide, please. So there are really two different categories of care. Some of you might be familiar with these distinctions. Essentially, the um, uh, I would say all assisted living provide most, if not all, of the instrumental activities of daily living, which you see on the right-hand side here. So that includes that they provide residents with, you know, transportation uh, help, you know, maybe going to the community, et cetera. They provide meal preparation, a meal service. They do the housework. There's usually, you know, people that clean the rooms or clean the apartments, however it's situated. They oftentimes, but not all, provide help with managing medication. And we could probably spend the program just in, term, in discussing what that means and some of the criteria around that. But generally speaking, assisted living will provide some assistance with medication. Uh, they will provide some help with communication, such as you know using the phone for some residents, using email, etc. And then of course shopping. You know a lot of places have have um, you know help residents either have shops come in uh, or to take residents, uh, you know, by a van or something else on shopping trips. On the left-hand side, you'll see uh, what are called the, just the regular activities of daily living versus instrumental activities of daily living. That's the orange column on the left. That includes more significant levels or more personal levels of care, um, including personal hygiene, help with bathing, help with grooming, nail care, help with dressing, uh, helping people to get dressed or undressed, change their clothing, uh, help with transferring or mobility for residents who, who need help in that area, 
help with actual eating. So again, a distinction between help with meal preparation on the instrumental ADL side, on just the regular ADL side, help with eating people that might need help, um, you know, queuing if they have dementia, uh, for swallowing, uh, you know, help with, um, with, with eating, et cetera. And then continence care, of course, would also fall into uh, an ADL. These are a lot of the things, actually, you can see on both sides that, um, you know, nursing homes as well provide. Uh, next slide, please, Eric. So, you know, just to lay out, there are, you know, a variety of things that someone might need. Uh, both the ADLs and the instrumental activities of daily living that we discussed. The assisted living uh, has grown over the years, and I don't know if it still is, but for many years it was the most popular type of senior housing because it provides many of those, you know, many of those services, but in a setting that is less institutional than the traditional nursing home. It used to be that people could not safely live on their own independently, they would automatically go to a nursing home. And assisted living grew in this country as an alternative to that, that people, you know, maybe needed or wanted to be in a setting that provided um, some care and services, again, whether it was from preparing food, laundry, and, um, and, and other basic services, transportation, if they couldn't really drive up safely any longer, to providing more um, more significant levels of care and services, help with dressing, uh, help with dining, etc. The promise of assisted living essentially is to enable people who need some care, some assistance, to maintain a significant degree of, uh, of independence and autonomy and choice in a setting that provides safety and the services that residents need. Uh, next slide, please. So some of the key concerns that I wanted to speak about today, as I mentioned before, this is in respect to two categories. One, I broke it up into safety and quality, and the other one, the second uh, category is, is our concern about the promises of assisted living and the extent to which uh, too often, unfortunately, they're not kept. Um, so one, safety and quality, again, there are no federal minimum care standards for assisted living whatsoever. As a result, there is also no federal oversight. So the many states do oversight from the state agency, Department of Health, et cetera, of both nursing homes and assisted living, but uh, you'll find that the standards that they are enforcing are very different. The protocols for um, enforcement are very, very different, uh, and they're almost, I would say, they're pretty much always significantly looser for assisted living than they are for nursing homes, even though, and this is, I think, really important, that the assisted living population, their needs, their vulnerabilities have grown closer and closer over the years to those of individuals who are living in a nursing home. Now, we did do a study last year, I didn't uh, know to hear, on assisted living and on state practices that is available on our website site on, on our assisted living page, I believe, as well as under our reports page. And we have some information there. Uh, this is not really the subject of today's program. Today's program 
we're really focusing on how, you know, fulfilling that promise in terms of resident autonomy and independence. But I do want you to know that there, we do have resources there. We did a lot of research last year in terms of what states are doing. Uh, we have long uh, recommended and advocated for stronger assisted living standards and protections, uh, including an assisted living um, law on the federal level. So our second key concern that is more the focus of what we're going to talk about today is that although assisted living promises to provide care and safety, monitoring, et cetera, of residents in a less restrictive environment than the traditional nursing home, research has indicated for many years now that even though they tend to look like a, have a home, more home-like setting, couches and, and coffee areas, sometimes a coffee shop, that kind of stuff, um, a lot of them in my experience, look a lot like hotels. Um, they, so they have a nicer living situation than does a traditional nursing home that, in fact, a lot of the policies and practices that go on in an assisted living are strikingly similar to what happens in a nursing home. And by that, I mean, for instance, that there is um, often regimented times when people can bathe or shower, uh, similar to what happens in nursing homes quite frequently, uh, that there are regimented times when there is breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and those things are served, and when they're available, again, similar to what goes on in nursing homes. Um, those things, by the way, those of you who are aware, this is something that we work on a lot in our advocacy. Nursing home residents have the right to take a bath or shower when they want to, and they have a right to eat when they want to as well, but we know that those rights are quite often not realized in nursing homes, uh, but in assisted living, again, we found that that the um, that promise that they could achieve that kind of quality of life also um, too often is not achieved in assisted living, and that really gets at some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. Next slide, please. So I'm gonna before I pass it on to Eric. I just a couple uh, pointers about the guides and what led up to them. So in light of findings, these are from actually the late 90s, early 2000s, um, and those findings continue to be corroborated, that that promise of assisted living was not being fulfilled in the lives of many residents. Not all, I mean, you know, as with nursing homes there and any other business, there are good and, and bad, uh, but that that promise quite often was not being fulfilled in terms of maintaining choice, maintaining autonomy, maintaining the dignity that, um, that you know, seniors want when they turn to assisted living. Uh, our organization and the Coalition of Institutionalized Aged and Disabled developed four guides to help improve the quality of life of residents in assisted living, specifically focusing on the ability to maintain choice, maintain, me, maintain choice autonomy, and independence. The four guides were developed following our own research and significant national pilot testing. They were originally released in 2005, and to be honest, at that time, I thought it was, it was fairly early in my career at the, at the organization. Uh, I thought that they were a little out, um, outdated. So over the last several months, we've been working to update both the design and the language of the guides to reflect what is going on now for residents, uh, what people need, how people use information, how people use resources, etc. Today, we are releasing three of the updated guides, uh, along with some helpful tools for current and prospective residents to use 
as they evaluate their needs in terms of assisted living and whether their assisted living or the assisted living that they're looking at uh, will meet the needs, uh, their needs and preferences, excuse me. So there are four guides. Uh, we have a guide for current residents, guide for prospective residents and their families. We have a guide for management. And then the guide for care staff, we are still updating, so that should be posted in the next week or so. The older guide is up there right now. So all four guides are available, but only three have been currently updated. Next slide, please. And I'm going to turn it over to Eric, please. All right. All right. Thank you, Richard. And and thanks, everybody, for taking the time to be here. I know it's a tough and probably stressful time to, uh, to, to be committing to this. Um, but I think what we're talking about today really underscores the importance of, uh, or what is going on today, really underscores the importance of what's happening happening in uh, in assisted living uh, settings and what the importance is of of um, making sure you're in a place that can care for you and care for you and respect your needs and your independence and your autonomy so we have four guidebooks that we're going to be talking about and the, their target audiences are, as, as Richard mentioned before, are uh, residents and families, prospective residents and families, uh, owners and managers, and the last one is staff. These, and, and also they're for everyone. Uh, so there's, uh, there's uh, if each each of them have lessons that can be uh, that can be applied to residents that can be applied to staff. There's some overlap between the four. I'm going to be talking for about 20 to 25 minutes, and I'm going to be spending most of the time on the guides that deal with residents and prospective residents. So the guides uh, they're each about. Uh, they range from about 15 to 25 pages, and they have they they each have table of contents. They're uh, they're organized so you can open them and see what's in them. But for uh, for the purposes of this talk, I'm going to discuss them in three sections. So the first section is going to be the introduction and the aims. So that's what is this guide? What is the goal of the guide? The next section is going to be information and tips, and that's the meat of each of the guides, so that'll uh, have some advice for residents or for, for prospective residents um, and some information about about assisted living. And then the third section, um, which I'll be discussing today, are the questionnaires. Uh, these are for the first, uh, for the guides for residents and prospective residents, as well as the cases and scenarios uh, which are more relevant to the to the guides that are for direct care staff and for owners and managers and the questionnaires that I want to ask again they're not uh, mandatory they're not graded they're they're for personal use only um, they're really as it they're very much a guideline for you to look at to get ideas of and to get an idea of what to look at at your facilities, and they can be uh, completed by hand or online. So our first guide we're going to be talking about is our guide for residents. 
and these are for current residents. Uh, Richard mentioned independence and control and autonomy, and I'm going to be saying those words a lot over the next uh, 20 or so minutes, but study after study has shown that independence and control are associated with health and well-being, and one of the primary missions of assisted living, uh, or one of the, the missions should be to uh, ensure that residents uh, can live as independently as possible and to also identify their needs and address their needs and preferences. So in this guide, uh, there are sections on control, on independence, uh, and uh, it's information on what you can do for your love for yourself or for your loved one in assisted living and and it's uh, it's a discussion on what do you want from assisted living as far as control as far as independence and as far as staying in the residence uh, if you would want to even if uh, even if you're becoming more dependent so our guides go into more detail about this, um, but one of the key topics in the current residence guide is independence, and uh, this is about controlling your care. It's about getting involved in your resident service plan, and and for current residents, these are things to look to look out for. Do you have control of your care? Uh, do you have a say in how you're being cared for? Um, these are things to think about and to uh, look out for if you're a family member of that resident. Is your mother um, having a say in, in when she uh, wakes up, and this goes to choices, is she having a say in when she wakes up or eats or bathes? Um, is there, uh, are her options limited due to uh, staff and management maybe taking shortcuts or setting certain times for meals or for baths. And in a optimal setting, your uh, residents should have the power to make decisions about the parts of their life that matter most to them. So this could be anything from going on a walk when maybe it's uh, a little cold out or uh, maybe a, a resident wants to enjoy uh, a beer uh, or have ice cream or or do things that maybe might be considered unsafe by some or might might not be considered healthy, but uh, there needs to also be an assessment of what the resident wants. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail, uh, but the our guide includes this information about how you can make changes uh, within for current residents, whether it's yourself or your family member. Um, you want to be informed. You want to tell your family and your staff what matters to you. You want to involve yourself on a resident service plan. Uh, you want to talk to staff and the administrator. You'll want to know your rights and know how to state your grievances, know how to use an advocate, and you also want to familiarize yourself and perhaps involve yourself in resident councils. So this guide comes with four questionnaires. And again, these are 
not mandatory and these can be modified. You can fill out half the questions. You can ignore them. You can ignore a question. You can change a question. Uh, but they're, they give you ideas of what you should be looking for in a, an assisted living residence of maybe what questions to ask or how are my needs being addressed. So these, and again, they're available on our website, nursinghome411.org slash assisted-living-guidebooks. And you can fill them online, either on your phone or your tablet or on your computer, or you can print them out and fill them by hand. Uh, so there's four questionnaires. The first one, and I'll have some some sample questions in here, is does it's entitled, Does Your Residence Meet Your Needs? So as you see on the bottom right, this is a screenshot of our questionnaire. These are yes-no questions, and it's to give you an idea of how is your residence doing? Are you getting your basic needs addressed? How are, are you, are you, so a sample question is, if you need a health or wellness program or assisted devices like special forks or spoons to eat, are they supplied? That's the vital thing for, uh, I mean, it has to do with eating and you'll want a residence that addresses that. Um, does Another question is, does the staff always knock on your door before coming into your room or your apartment? And this is an issue that deals with independence, it deals with autonomy, it deals with privacy. And if your answer is no to that, then you need to be uh, then that's a, a telling piece of information about your residence. And this this particular questionnaire uh, is yeses and nos, so if you fill it out, you can compare your yeses and nos. Say you have 95% uh, yeses, that's probably a good sign, but if you're getting a lot of nos, then you'll want to look it over and or if you're a family member, you'll want to, to think about this some more and assess the situation. Uh, another questionnaire for current residents, uh, this is another yes-no, um, but this is about choice. So can you choose what you want at your residence? Um, is it important for you to cook? Can you reach the cupboards and use the faucets? If you don't have your own kitchenette, can you ever prepare your own meals? And again, this is one of those, these are not scientific questionnaires or studies. There's not a set number of yes or no that tells you it's good or bad, but it, these are things to think about as you're assessing your current or your loved ones or friends' current assisted living situation. Um, uh, this is a, a another our third questionnaire for this particular guide for this guide. Uh, and this is can you decide for yourself at your residence? And this goes back to choice. And some sample questions, as you see below, this includes some yeses and nos, and some also short one sentence responses. So a sample question: Is it important for you to do things others say are unsafe, but you either consider safe or want to do anyway? Uh, how does staff react if you want to do something your family feels is unsafe? How does the staff deal with you if you like to go for walks alone outside but have trouble walking? 
and something to emphasize about how does the staff react if you want to do something your family feels is unsafe is that uh, the resident has it's the resident that is living in the facility and staff needs to be communicating with family that the resident has rights and has autonomy. And our last questionnaire for this guide, uh, can you stay if you become more dependent? So uh, it, you'll want to look at this, say, uh, uh, you, you might want to think about this survey if you're thinking about the long term. Um, if you become more dependent, does this residence have staff trained to care for you? Can you offer to pay for extra help if they lack the care staff? Does it have programs to reduce falling and incontinence? Um, so as you see in this survey, I was just testing it out. Um, this, if this were a real person, that would be three no's. That would be uh, a sign that, or a, yeah, a sign that if you were to become more and more dependent, then maybe this place is not right for you. Our second questionnaire, which, uh, and again, we're going to be spending more time on the first two, so the last one in this one than the, the third and fourth ones, is for prospective uh, assisted living residents and also for their families. So these, the goals and the aims of this one are similar to the previous guide. Uh, the difference is that these are prospective residents. So they are in the, a lot of them will be in the exploratory phase. So they'll want to, uh, they'll have a different sort of uh, research or um, review process as they're, as they're still selecting a facility. But that said, you still want to look for places that respect your choices, your preferences, your decisions, and you want to plan ahead. And our aim here is to help prospective residents choose an assisted living facility that maintains resident choice and autonomy in a home-like, non-institutional environment. So the topic we're going to get into here that we didn't get into in the previous guide is about the the ex the exploring process so the pre uh, you're selecting a facility how do you decide wh or whether it's right for you how do you decide which one is right for you so some basics uh, you want to look at location um, if somewhere is close to your family or if it's in a place that you near a, a city or town that you enjoy living in, then that should be a priority to you. You want to look at the staff and services. Um, you want to look at the cost. Uh, and then depending on your, uh, your economic situation, you might have to make choices that, that uh, weigh cost of facilities. Uh, and then you'll also want to, once you've kind of narrowed down what what residences are possibilities you want to make visits so it's important to not just make the visit but do so not necessarily at the expected time so yeah you'll want to see the residents during meals uh, you want to see them at different kinds of days and you you also want to maybe make an unannounced visit to see how a community is when they're not expecting a prospective resident. And 
thirdly, you want to ask questions. You can ask questions to staff that are in the building. You can ask questions to other residents, to other residents' families who might give you a more uh, transparent or honest answer. And uh, we also have our questionnaires, which offer which will offer questions which I'll go over that you can ask staff, which you can ask administrators, which you can ask, uh, which you can think about as you're exploring a residence or as you're working with someone who is exploring an assisted living residence. So for, for this guide, our, we want to as far as uh, choices, preferences, and decisions as before, you we want to look for places that strike a balance between, I mean, between autonomy and independence, and also looking out for the residents' needs. Uh, but again, uh, as as Richard emphasized, and as as I noted in the previous guide, it's important for. Uh, for an assisted living residence to to cultivate an environment that um, that encourages independence, that encourages choice, and you also uh, want to plan ahead. So this means looking looking at a potential resident service plan, working to develop that plan. You'll want to read and review any available documents, and I'll get into and you can ask facility for those documents. You can also do a basic online search to see if the facility has been in the news, be, be it for a good reason or a, uh, or a not so good reason. And we have five questionnaires attached to this guide, which, which can serve as a serve as a guideline for you as uh, or for you or your family as you're exploring different uh, assisted living options and again these are for personal you can you can um, fill them out and maybe share them with other people to see their thoughts but these are uh, these are for personal use and they're not great so uh, first of the questionnaires, which I found the most useful as I was going through this, is our initial questions for administration and staff. And this, is, uh, this goes through the basics. Uh, say you're um, touring a, um, an assisted living community that you're considering. You can bring this this form and think about the questions. Uh, you can think about is the facility licensed and what type of license does it have? Uh, is there a resident council, a family council? These are things that uh, that relate to independence and community involvement. Uh, and how many staff are in the facility during the day, overnight, and on weekends? And that's another reason why you should tour the residents, not just at the expected times, but maybe take a, switch it up, go at night one day, go at a weekend another day, rather than relying on what you're being told. Uh, to needs and preferences, uh, this is, uh, this, this form is, gives prospective residents an idea of what they're looking for. So, 
is there a laundry for use? Can I have visitors at many times a day? Can someone in the residence read to me? Um, and are there large print books available? If, uh, if you're a resident that uh, who has English as, as, as their second language or does not speak English as their staff that can communicate in your language. All right, this third questionnaire uh, has to do with the physical layout. And this is one of the longer questionnaires. And again, you can skip parts of it. You can, uh, you can add your own questions to it. But this is an opportunity to, to look at the different parts of the facility, perhaps when you are touring. So when you're looking at maybe the dining room or the entrance, you can ask, uh, does it allow easy access outdoors into the rest of the building? Uh, can I enter from the street without using steps? Is there room for a wheelchair and walkers? And if these answers are, if these responses are not what you're, are not, do not seem to be compatible with your goals and your your preferences and your needs, then that uh, that is a uh, something you should take into account. And this this questionnaire is uh, considerations before signing a residency <laughs> agreement. Um, so I filled this one out and these again this this is a, a simple you can look at uh, what services are included, you ask them um, are, is the room included? Yes. Uh, and then you get a note. Uh, I wrote that it's too small. Um, are meals included? And maybe they have great meals. Are snacks included? No. Maybe they're charging $25 for a muffin. Uh, how, is there housekeeping? Perhaps on one of your tours, you walked by one of the uh, one of the staff or the housekeeping staff, and they had a very pleasant conversation with you. Uh, you should. You can write that down and take note. And the last questionnaire for this guide is, uh, when might I need to move? Um, some assisted living residences may lack the staffing or expertise to care for you if you become sicker or more disabled. So with that in mind, you should think about how much staff is there, what are their qualifications, uh, what's the facility's policy in respect to residents with Alzheimer's uh, or other cognitive impairment. And these third and fourth guides, I'm going to go through quicker to be mindful of everybody's time. So strategies for owners and managers. Uh, I think that so owners and managers are in a position to make the changes that will improve resident experiences and the attractiveness of a community. Um, their aim, the aim of this guidebook is to help those people improve the quality of life and living environments and in their communities. And something I want to emphasize is that what's good for a community is, can also be good for, for business. I, I think everybody wants to live in a place where people are happy and people are, are people's needs are being addressed. They are being treated with dignity and I think those those assisted living residents may um, get a better reputation and have more prospective residents looking at them because of that reputation. So 
we talked about uh, choice and control earlier. Uh, how can staff give residents more choice? Is and I'll, I'll go to staff. Is there enough enough staff? Uh, is there does your staff know why it's important for residents to be independent as possible? And do they know best practices? And in addition, you'll want to foster an environment of independence and participation. So you can do this by um, encouraging participation in a resident council. You can do this through a designing a physical layout that um, that makes your residents accessible and makes it a community environment. And you can do this through a through assessing risk and fostering positive outcomes. And I'm going to go through uh, just an example of of uh, fostering risk and or assessing risk and fostering uh, positive outcomes. So we'll go with the second case here, fresh air. A resident with Alzheimer's wanted to go outside during a snowstorm. Staff, staff asked her to wait, but she refused. Staff then figured out how to let her go outside safely, asking her to put on her winter clothes and then taking her to a wraparound porch. The resident stood there, saw the snow, and got her fresh air, and then staff said, the staff member said, I was able to let her do what she wanted to do in a safe way. It makes you feel good. So here's a situation where a staff was trained uh, to think of a solution that both minimized the risk but also fostered a positive outcome. And our last, uh, our last section is for the staff members, which again are, is connected to the ownership and management. So for assisted, this is for assisted living staff who work directly with the residents. And our goal is to help staff make this goal a reality in the residents' everyday lives and to generate discussion and action among consumers and providers. Again, we discussed choice and control from a staff perspective, a key area is getting to know the residents, spending time with them, figuring out what they like, what they don't like, what are their routine. And you also want to work with their families. So help them understand that they are residents, that they are people with rights, and they're the ones that are in the communities 24-7. And this is a so for fostering independence, you want to use the same similar strategies as I mentioned before with the owners. And as far as residents with cognitive impairments, which we haven't discussed much, um, there'll be a case on our next slide which goes into this. But you'll want to in, you'll want to allow independence so as it doesn't put anybody at risk. So, for example, if a resident is wandering around or poking around, set up a situation where they can do so safely. And our uh, the case I'm going to mention before I hand it back off to Richard is there's a resident who used to be a, a nurse who kept on picking up the phone on her residence floor as if she was taking doctor's orders. And then people were getting upset because they didn't want her on the phone for the residents. So then the caregiver arranged for another telephone where she could pretend to talk all she wants. So again, this is a finding a solution that doesn't hurt anybody, that doesn't put anybody at risk, but also doesn't interfere with the resident and is respectful of their independence. 
So I'm going to hand it back off to Richard. Thank you for your time. Eric, thanks so much. So that was great. Um, one thing I, I, I just wanted to add, I mean, I, I think the questionnaires, as Eric um, was saying, that they're just really useful and interesting in terms of uh, understanding um, needs and preferences and how the facility can or can't meet them. One thing that I thought was, uh, that I think is interesting about the guides for both direct care staff and for management is that they, um, they have questionnaires within them. We didn't make them separate questionnaires as we did for the other pieces that, so that people can take them and bring them to facilities. But for the management and for the care staff, there are some, a uh, couple places where they can make lists of things uh, for them to think about. For instance, this is something that really, again, uh, I thought was really interesting, is that, um, as I said at the beginning, uh, a lot of the issues are um, that we were trying to address and help people address with these guides is that it sometimes nursing, or excuse me, sometimes assisted living can be as regimented as a nursing home. So, um, you know, we're talking, as Eric spoke about, you know, uh, what things are important to you, what choices are important to you, et cetera. For the guides, for management, and for staff, we actually ask them to list the things that they do every day. Like, did they, you know, when they got up in the morning, did they decide whether they're going to take a bath or a shower or, or neither? Did they decide, you know, what they were going to wear? Did they decide what they were going to have for breakfast? How would they feel if some of those choices were taken away from them and made by somebody else? And so I, I think that, um, you know, the, um, those materials have been and can be really useful to management and to care staff. So we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, thank you all so much for joining us today. I, I again, apologize for the problems we had earlier on. And I know it was a little bit wonky here and there, but I think overall, um, as someone who was on the listening end this time for most of it, uh, it sounded really good. The, uh, pretty, or, or good enough to hear at least. Um, if you're interested in receiving alerts, et cetera, from us, please visit nursinghome411.org forward slash join. If you go to the bottom of the page, I think it's, it's there on our website or call 212. 3850355. Uh, we're also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash LTCCC, and on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash LTC consumer, so LTCCONSUMER. For family members in New York State, there's the Alliance of New York Family Councils, www.anyfc.org, great organization. And for ombudsman uh, volunteers in New York State, we have a survey monkey that you can take. Um, we'll let your supervisor know that you attended this training. Um, so that link is right there. And again, this is on our website, so you can see it on the slide 45 of the program on the website. The recording will be available um, within the next few days on our YouTube channel as well as, as a podcast. And uh, I just want to mention that Eric in particular has been working assiduously, so we're having a new podcast um, programs that are coming out that are, are going to be beyond the webinars. They're actually going to be interviews and some specific programs on, uh, excuse me, on programs on specific issues. So that should be, uh, they are really interesting actually. I've already listened to a couple of them. So I hope you'll join us. Um, we have the podcasts are on our website as well as we have a channel on uh, Google Play, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Next slide, Eric.
Thanks. So uh, any questions or comments, feel free to, uh, to, to um, uh, actually you could unmute yourself if you want to stay on for a couple of minutes, star six. Uh, if not, you could always send us your comments, at feedback at ltccc.org. Our next program is April 21st, uh, and it's going to be on a meaningful safeguards. It's a new report. Promising Practices and Recommendations for Evaluating Nursing Home Owners. As um, I'm sure many of you know, we are very concerned about the increased corporatization of the nursing home industry. And so we, um, principally Dara Valanajad, our uh, policy council, conducted research into what states are doing. We have a lot of good information on what's out there in terms of how states are evaluating nursing home owners in terms of their appropriateness and their past experience uh, if they've owned nursing homes. And we've developed some promising um, recommendations, I think, for how prospective owners should be evaluated when they're making the promise to, you know, when they buy a nursing home and are making the promise to provide care and residence for people in need. So thank you again for joining us. Have a good afternoon and stay safe. Bye-bye now.